Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. Good afternoon and welcome back to Storyteller Studio. We are back in the Edgebrook Shopping Center in Rockford, Illinois. This afternoon, I have a guest that my wife, who I met at the radio station, has a connection with Jim Like, which I would have never estimated. And she says, you know, Jim, uh, Tim's doing this thing. You might want to come in. So, Jim, thank you so much for driving down from Janesville. Oh, thank you so much for having me in, Tim. This sure. is fun. I, I feel like seeing all of these albums <laughs> that you have on the floor, it's like I walked into my teenage bedroom. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, not a bad thing. When Sandy was telling me your timeline, I'm wondering, because I had two stents at WROK, and I'm going, why does Jim like not ring a bell with me? It's because you were there when I was gone. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to the stories because I think you're going to fill a hole that I had no clue what was going on because I was in Charleston, West Virginia for two years. So what was your timeline at WROK? Well, actually, we did overlap. We did. Because I would have started sometime in 1983. Okay. And I was there for about a year and a half, I think. And oh late fall of 84, I left and moved to Milwaukee. And then I came back and I subbed a little bit in 85 when they were short of help. Wow. But I mean, I was at ZOK for a cup of coffee. Yeah. Really. I mean, I really was. <laughs> I mean, I, I did weekends. I actually did sub on ROK okay. a couple of times on uh, like a Saturday afternoon when they needed somebody. And I briefly produced Bill Phillips' show in the summer of 84. Oh, my. Was that during or before McDuff sort of stepped in to do a portion with Bill? It was when McDuff was actually in the sales department. And that's oh. a story I have for you as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so McDuff was actually not regularly on the air at that point. Wow. He had stepped aside to go into the sales department. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to these stories that I either I completely forgot or I never knew to begin with. What got you into radio to begin with? Why WROK or radio at all? Well, I was one of those kids that grew up in the 70s listening to WLS. Oh, sure. And, yeah. you know, I idolized people like John Records Landecker and <laughs> Bob Surratt and yeah. people like that. And I just thought it would be a cool thing to do. But I also really wanted to get into news. Okay. And so I went to University of Wisconsin-Whitewater as a journalism major. And I happened to get a job uh, my sophomore year in college in the news department doing weekend news for WCLOWJVL in Janesville. Oh, sure. And I ended up doing that for 
a couple of years. When I started, I was only doing Sunday news. And there was a guy doing the news on Saturdays. And when he left, I ended up taking his role. So I had both Saturday and Sunday. The guy who was doing our Saturday newscasts that left was named Steve Stottleman. TV 17. That's him. And now what? State senator? Is that or uh, state I representative? I can't remember I think which. he's state senator. Okay. But yeah, when I ran in, <laughs> I ran into him here in town a few years ago and, you know, reminded him of that. And it was pretty funny. I mean, he didn't really remember me because we, I mean, we never saw each other. No. I had never met him because he was in on one day and I was in on the other day and our paths never crossed. But when he left the station, I ended up, you know, inheriting his shift as well. Wow, that's hilarious. And there's, so there's so many TV people that when you go back, they start out in radio. That's mm-hmm. how they got oh, yeah. their pipes and that's how they got their teeth. And then if they happen to be pretty, mm-hmm. <laughs> then they would move over to the TV stations. Which is why I stayed in radio. So um, the, the clock. <laughs> yeah, me too. But uh, <laughs> so I did news and it, it was fascinating. I loved working there in the mm-hmm. news department at uh, WCLO. And I got to sit in on some, I was going to say, cool things, if you can consider the Raymond Lee Stewart trial a cool thing. I mean, what he did certainly wasn't cool, but to watch that and report on it was fascinating. Now, you didn't travel to Rockford to cover it. No, he had to also face trial in Janesville for the murders he committed in Beloit because it was a, you know. He, he crossed the state line on his crime spree that night. Yeah. So it was the Wisconsin portion of the trial that I got to cover. Wow. And I loved doing that, but I had this friend of mine at college, and we both were DJs on the college radio station, WSUW, Fun 91. And Do, um, What was it, W? WSUW. WSUW, makes sense. Okay. Because it was, at one time, before it was UW-Whitewater, it was Wisconsin State University-Whitewater, so oh. that was where the call letters came from. Nice, okay. So one of my college friends, and we both were on the air in Whitewater, his name was Gene... <laughs> and so... Um, and nobody's going to know that name. They will in a minute. <laughs> I, I don't think... So... <laughs> So anyway, so Gene um, got this gig, and Gene was from, oh gosh, was he from Wonder Lake, I think he grew up? I'm trying to remember where he grew up. I'm not real sure. Somewhere over there. So Gene got this job at WZOK, and they told him he needed a new name. (laughs) And so um, if I remember correctly, and uh, Gene, you'll have to correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but my memory is that he literally pulled out the phone book and looked for a name that sounded cool. Oh, yeah. And he landed on the name Steve Summers. <laughs> so he started using it not only here working weekends at COK, because that's what he did at first. He, he was working weekends. But he also started using it on the air on the station in Whitewater. And not long after he started using it, he found out that like one of the associate deans or somebody, that was that guy's name. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) So he had to behave himself on the air. Um, (laughs) And people are going, what is the associate of dean doing a radio show for? And my God, does he sound different. (laughs) Wow. So anyway, so after um, Steve had started working here at ZOK, another weekend spot opened up. 
And he got me an interview with the program director down and, here. And who was the program director? Uh, at the it time? was Tim Fox. Oh yeah. So this was before he went to Denver. He was. Yeah. Tim would have been doing middays on the air. He was. As well as being the program director here. Yes. And so Steve got me the interview, and I came down here. I remember sitting in the studio. My, my interview with Tim was while he was on the air. Oh. It was during his air shift. Oh, my. And he was the nicest guy. And so I'm sitting down in the studio next to him, and we're having this discussion. All of a sudden, he turns on the mic. So it went from, uh, so here at WZOK, oh, just a second, Jim, I have to take a break. Here at Radio 97 WZOK, Tim Fox in the afternoon. And that's the way we do breaks, Jim. You know? <laughs> I mean, he just went from this soft-spoken voice to boom. Yeah. Every day, all day, Tim did that. Mm -hmm. It was like this gigantic switch backstage that went on every time the mic went on. And there's only maybe, I don't know, three people I've ever known in my radio career that that's what they did. And some could pull it off and some could not. You have to be really good at that or they catch you. Were you still at the station when John St. John was there doing evenings? No. Okay. Because mm -mm. that will lead me to another story. But before I get to that story, so Tim, he offered me the job. It was fewer hours and less pay than what I was making at WCLO, but I took it anyway just because I wanted to be a rock and roll DJ. I didn't want to do news anymore. So did he hear an air check of yours? Because yeah. Oh, yeah, but I had the to, air check would have been from I had the to college station. Correct. But and but not a news air check. Um no, it was something from because I was just DJing at okay. WSUW. Gotcha. Okay. Um okay. News guys didn't get the checks. No. <laughs> let's let's just put it that way. Okay. <laughs> that was my thinking at the time. News guys didn't get the girl. You needed to be a high profile exactly. rock and roll jock. Okay. So right. <laughs> so I, after Tim said, Well, you've got the job or whatever, I said, Do you need me to take a, a radio name? And he's like, Are you kidding? You have a two syllable name and one of the words is like. It's perfect. You have to use it's your own name. Perfect. Wow. Good for you. So did you start the next week? I mean, come on. So um, he hires you on the spot like that? I started pretty quickly. I mean, I started my, my shifts were uh, overnight, Friday night, Saturday morning, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Then the same thing overnight, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And then I did Sunday night, 6 to midnight. Very familiar. So yeah. it was yeah. 14 hours yeah. a weekend. Yeah. And... I didn't care that it was in the middle of the night. I loved it. Yeah. I just thought it was the best thing. Did you have ever. an eight o'clock class on Monday morning like I did stupidly at NIU? Because I did those similar shifts. And then I had to leave at midnight on Sunday, drive back down to DeKalb. Somehow you get some rest of some sort and you try to sneak in not to disturb your roommate, who is now my brother-in-law. <laughs> and then I get up for an eight o'clock class. It's like, that is so dumb, especially in the winter. Good God, the winters were horrible. Oh it, yeah, I, I had at least one shift that I had to miss because I-90 was black ice. I got stuck in Beloit, I couldn't get down here. That's it. I don't recall having that kind of challenge with 8 a.m. classes, but I did have a challenge with people calling me when I was trying to get sleep. So. You know, I I get off of my shift at 6 a.m. and I drive back to my dorm room in Whitewater, and I try to get some sleep. And one morning in particular, probably like an hour or so after I got to sleep, my phone rang and woke me up, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> and one of my friends is screaming into the phone, 
I mean, happy screaming, because Springsteen tickets for Alpine Valley had gone on sale that morning at Ticketmaster. They had announced it. I didn't even know. I mean, I was on the air hours before, and I had no idea this was happening. Oh, my. And he had run right down to Ticketmaster. He had gotten us 12th row seats to see Springsteen on the Born in the USA tour. And he is, like, screaming with delight. And the fact that he got me tickets without even asking me, just assuming I'd want to go. Yeah. It was, yeah, that woke me up in a hurry. Yeah. And tickets (laughs) were probably 12 bucks back then. They weren't very expensive. No, that's funny. Well, And where he was, you said it was Alpine Valley. Yeah. Wow. Do you have any idea if he had somebody uh, ahead of him? Was there an opening act? Uh, There was not an opening act that night. It was just Bruce. And we were under... They were fantastic seats. We were under the roof. We were 12 rows from the stage. Nice. It was the most fantastic concert wow. experience I ever had. And wow. I am forever grateful that this friend, just without even asking, instinctively knew I'd want to go and got tickets. That's it. My parallel to that is seeing the Eagles in the 14th row at Alpine Valley. Oh, nice. And, and the reason I ask about the opening act is because there's so many people that you know, way, way back, these opening acts mm-hmm. turned into somebody. Right. Yeah. And ours was uh, Christopher Cross. Oh, really? Nobody had a clue. Huh. And when you say you were on the air and didn't have a clue, we were on the air. I was on, in, on WFRL in Freeport. No clue as to who this little pudgy guy with mm-hmm. a guitar and a stool is at, at all, even when they said their name. Well, it was the next week that we got the 45 in the mail that was right like the wind. So, you wow. know, obviously, and he's now celebrating his 40th anniversary. He does a lot of uh, producing of new artists and stuff like that, but he's doing a tour. So you never know who mm-hmm. those opening acts may yep. turn out to be. Do you remember when um, the Rolling Stones were here in Rockford? I do. I was not working here at the time, but I remember when that happened. Somebody that we sat down with was pop quizzing all of us and said, do you remember who the opening act was? And it was the Go-Go's. <gasps> I did not know that. We were all dying. Wow. It's like, well, that's a real sort of weird mm-hmm. mismatch. But look what they became. Yep. So, yeah, it was sort of hilarious. Okay, so you get hired by Tim Fox, and Steve Summers helps you get in the door, and you're doing weekends on WZOK and then heading back to Whitewater. Where did it go from there? So that was my senior year at college okay. that I was working here. I had half a mind to bring in my old ZOK air check tape. You've I still. It? And actually, I digitized it and I put it on Facebook years ago. Oh, it's it's somewhere out there in the uh, and and it's just embarrassingly cringy. Well, of course they all are because I took yeah. Tim Fox's lead, and so <laughs> all of my breaks were hey Radio ninety seven W Z O K Rockford. You know, <laughs> I can't even do it anymore. But um, uh, well, if so you want to send that to me, I would love to insert it into this conversation in post production. I will. I will send it to you. Okay. I, I will email. Give me your email address when we're done, and I'll make sure that you get it. Very good. Ninety-seven FM WZOK, your concert station, welcoming yes to Alpine Valley on the eleventh of August. Lot more concert info. You know how to get it. Dial up the WZOK concert line at 226-9700. Hey, Radio 97 WZOK with Big Country. Jim Lyke at 653. Rockford weather tonight is going to be a nice night. Enjoy. Low of 60 degrees. Tomorrow, sunny in the morning. Chance of some showers in the afternoon. High 85. Tuesday, back to the nice weather. Sunny. Temps in the mid-80s. Right now, 81. 
Hit Radio 97 WZOK with over 56 minutes of music coming your way this hour. That includes the Jacksons with Mick Jagger. Also, Elton John, the boss, Bruce Springsteen, Jefferson Starship. All coming up before 8 on 97 WZOK. 97 WZOK, your concert station. The boss is at the Rosemont Horizon tonight. Also, Tuesday and Wednesday. Saw him at Alpine Valley Thursday night. I don't think I need to see any more concerts now. I mean, I've seen the best. 97WZLK, are you ready for a little madness? Our house in the middle of the street. No, that's silly. If it was in the middle of the street, it'd get hit by Nah, never mind. Here Radio 97WZLK with the Superstar Concert Series at 9 o'clock in about 24 minutes. This week, some Southern Fried Rock and Roll from 38 Special. Brought to you by Coke and Freeport Harley-Davidson. Right now, here's Mick Jagger with his lips flapping in the wind. Undercover of the night on 97 WZOK. Here Radio 97 WZOK, your concert station. This man, yes, it is he. Do you think I'm sexy, Rod Stewart? Along with his former band leader, Jeff Beck, they're going to be in concert together at Alpine Valley on the 23rd of August. Will be a good show. Guarantee you. Need more concert info, dial it up at 226-9700 from WZOK. 97WZOK with a starship. I mean, just to hear the songs that were, you know, we were playing at the oh. time, you know, Culture Club and Big Country and, yeah. you know, things like that. And, you know, the nice part about that is uh, if the air check was able to roll the way, you know, it was able to roll all the way through and not knock out the commercials. Mm -hmm. It's really cool to hear the commercials of those companies that were not only back then, but may not even be in existence now. This is just the breaks. I, I don't have any of the uh, any of the tapes of, you know, unedited tapes. I think if I remember, the cassette player only went on when the mic was on. Yes, yeah. But anyway, so my senior year, that was what I did. I just, you know, I went to class during the week, and I did my shifts uh, on the weekends and stuff. Oh, and I, I was going to tell you the fake radio voice story before I forget. Okay. So at some point while I worked at, at COK, a guy named John St. John came to work for us, and he did evenings. He did... 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. or whatever we mm -hmm. considered evening at the time. Mm -hmm. And John was the nicest guy. His real name was like Roy something. Okay. And he had, he was kind of like Tim Fox. He was very soft-spoken. And Roy had like this slight southern twang. I don't know exactly where he was from. Okay. But he had come to us from a station in Oklahoma City. Okay. So he had had a decent-sized gig prior to coming here. Yeah, because the 6 to 10 shift on a CHR in a market this size, that's what you want. Oh, yeah. I mean, outside of mornings, that's mm -hmm. what you want. Yep. All right. So John comes to us, and he was another guy who, you know, really soft-spoken, off the air, turned on the mic, hit radio 97, see you, okay, you know, and he was a rock and roll animal. I mean, you would think that he was like Wolfman Jack on oh. steroids or something. So, so he'd be and, categorized as what we call in the industry a puker. Pretty much. Okay, good. But right. I mean, but he was great and people loved him. Yeah. So one day he has to do a remote at the drive-in. Oh, no. And he asked me if I'd run board for him. Oh, no. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll run board for you tonight. No big deal. And so before he goes out to the drive-in, you know, with the WZOK RC van. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going over cues and everything and, and how it's, you know, 
how it's going to work for the remote. And he's like, man, I am really, really nervous. And I'm like, you? Why? He goes, I've never done one of these before. Oh my. I'm like, hold it. You know, you, you never had to do one of these in Oklahoma City? No. I've never had to do a remote. I've never oh had my. to do my character in front of people. My character? Yeah. He may not have used that term, but he... But that's what it meant. But his shtick, yeah. I mean, basically. Oh, my. So he gets out there. 6 p.m. rolls around, and it's time for his first break. You know, I give him his cue, throw on the mic, and he comes on, and he sounds terrified. And he oh. has forgotten to use his voice. Oh, no. He's talking in his real voice, and he sounds scared. It took him three or four breaks to really calm down and to get into character. And once he did, he was fine. Somebody was in the studio with me. I can't remember who, but I turned on the mic and he does his first break and we're kind of looking at each other like, oh my God, is John going to be okay? You know? <laughs> and who is this person? So, wow. Do you remember what the client was? What was the remote location? It was at the drive-in. Oh, yep. okay. All right. Wow, he was praying for sunset at that point. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> but I mean, once he calmed down, he was fine. Oh my. But those first few breaks, man, uh, <laughs> I felt I, so sorry for the guy. We had a guy in Charleston, West Virginia. His name was Bob. I can't remember his last name, but he was on the FM, which was our very, very popular country station. The call letters were WQBE, and they used a cartoon that was a rabbit, you know, sort of like mm -hmm. the tricks rabbit. Oh, sure. It was very creatively done because this person could draw this rabbit in any promotional situation the station ever needed. And it was called 24 Karat Country. So Bob was the midday guy and he was extremely popular. And I can remember when they uh, had him for his first remote and Bob was a big guy. He says, I can't let people see me. I sound big, but I don't want them to know that I'm big. On the air, on the remote, you would never know the difference. But he was terrified to show up in a radio station polo shirt, which he never wore polo shirts, because he didn't want to be visible. So it's sort mm -hmm. of in that same category. Mm -hmm. It's just a little different. But I was just amazed that somehow in his radio career, he had avoided having to do that yeah. by the time he got here. This wasn't just his second station, was it? No. No, oh, no, no. My. He had worked his way up the ladder. Because back in the day, that was the whole thing of what we call pressing the flesh. Mm -hmm. Getting out on the streets for whatever reason, whether it be a bar or passing out bumper stickers or whatever the case may be. Because the more you're in people's face, the more popularity you're going to be. And it's advertising for the station. Grab the van keys and go. Mm -hmm. I'm shocked that if he was not a midday guy, I don't know how he avoided that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't either, but uh, anyway, wow. so he had his trial by fire, I guess. <laughs> and he made it through it. He, he made it through. <laughs> well, do you know through. if he's still in radio? When I was thinking about him, mm -hmm. I started like looking up people whose names I remembered that I'd worked with. Yeah. And I found a John St. John online who said he was a former radio announcer that was originally from North Carolina. Okay. And didn't mention Rockford among his stops. It mentioned like New Orleans and some other major markets. Um, this particular guy, and it had his picture. It could be him, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Yeah, that's never happened to me. <laughs> but this guy with the same name is the voice of Duke Nukem in like 
all these video games and things. And he's like known as the voice of, and he's done other like high profile Hmm. voiceover type of things. And he's on, he's got a page on IMDB and stuff. Wow. I'm thinking it might be him. And if so, he's done very well for himself. Good for him. But it didn't mention Rockford. So I'm not a hundred percent sure it's the same guy, but you know, how many John St. Johns are out there? I don't know. I have no clue. None. You mentioned Jeff Davis. And, you know, that's the whole thing of, you know, you've got these radio people and, you know, these uh, air names crossover. And I automatically thought of Jeff Davis, WLS. Mm-hmm. But like Chuck Doyle says, no, this is G-Off yep. Davis. <laughs> Correct. So how was your connection to Jeff Davis, who worked at ROK and ZOK? Okay, so when Tim left to go to Denver, Jeff was hired and he was at WRKR in Racine. Okay. Um and he was hired to be the midday guy and program director. Gotcha. So that was how I got to know Jeff. And it was interesting because, so after working my, my senior year in college, just doing the weekend shifts, um, when I graduated, I didn't know what I was going to do. Tom Gray was the, mm-hmm. he must have been the operations director. Yes, he was. So yeah. Tom actually offered me a full-time job. Get out I here. would continue having my weekend shifts on ZOK, but he asked me if I would produce Bill Phillips' show on ROK. How could a person physically do that kind of schedule? Well, I did for really? not a lot of money. I mean, I, I can tell you, I got, I was working forty-five hours a week and oh. getting paid twelve grand. Oh my! That was God. that was my first full-time job. And all the oysters that you could eat at Jungle Gyms? Uh, I got a few of those. I <laughs> yes. I got a couple of free dinners at Jungle Gyms. Oh my God. I mean, I think of people in the medical field and I go, how in the crap do you do that? And this is the same thing. Overnights on the FM and mornings on the AM, seven days a week. That's crazy. Well, it never, well, the only time that was really, and it wasn't that big of a problem was you know, I would work the morning shift on our OK on a Friday and then have to be there at 2 a.m. that night. But my Sunday shift was 6 to midnight. Okay. So I could get a little bit of sleep anyway before I came in Monday morning. Um, wow. So that was my summer of 84 was doing that. And then on top of that, for whatever reason, Jeff Davis missed a lot of his midday shifts because he was too busy doing program director things or something. So Hmm. I'd be in the middle of my shift on ROK with Bill Phillips and Jeff would pop his head in the studio and say, Hey, can you cover my midday on ZOK? Is that like a 10 to noon or longer? So it was 10 to two. That's a long shift. Yeah. So that would be my day. Oh my. And you had to step in without any prep opportunities because you're just button up against Bill. But you know, I didn't mind because I thought, hey, this is an upgrade. Instead of overnights, I'm doing middays on ZOK. <laughs> so I was more than happy to do it. Wow. But yeah, I did. I mean, it, it was it was so frequent that a couple of the other guys made a joke that they were going to do a jock shot for me that said, Jim like for Jeff Davis. <laughs> so, You know what, Kipper McGee, did you ever know Kipper McGee? His name. Okay. Kipper McGee told me when he came in for the sit down that... Lots of times, if, if people needed an air name of some sort, of course, it's the whole phone book thing. You know, right. flip it through and point twice. But he says so many people at the radio stations he worked for, if they already had a jingle shout, then they would splice the jingle shout. So if they had, you know, John Smith 
and Jeff Jones, they would make it John Jones or whatever the case may be. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, no, one, you had it, but the guy's already gone. And the radio station didn't need to cut another shout and pay for another shout. It's like, oh God, that just seems so rinky dink. Mm -hmm. But yet they did it. So, you know, him doing the, you know, Jim Lykin for Jeff Davis was not too far off the Mm -hmm. realm. Yeah, (laughs) that's hilarious. What was your... Uh, working relationship and what was the story that would maybe come out of the morning show with Bill Phillips? Well, the main story that comes out of that has nothing to do with Bill, interestingly enough. Okay. Um, Let's just say Bill and I didn't really get along. It was not a good match. It was not a good relationship. And I kind of was thrown into that job unprepared. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know what was going to be expected of me and I didn't ever really get told what was expected of me and he did his break and there was no conversation it was very weird so were you considered a board op or you were considered a producer or a little I was bit of both? supposed to be his producer oh but I was never really told what was what I should be doing besides board op and over time I kind of figured out well I should be doing this and doing that but um, I wasn't really prepared to do that wow so Anyway, at the time, Doug McDuff had taken a, um, I guess, a sabbatical from being on air and was working in the sales department. Because mm-hmm. he used to be afternoons on WROK. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, then, so, and then when I came back, which would be after your time or at the end of your time, he was sales, but he was stepping in like the last hour, last hour mm-hmm. and a half, something like that. Does that sound familiar? He wasn't doing that when I was there. He was he was strictly sales. He had gotten off of the air, but he was still subbing. Oh. So okay. one week, Bill is on vacation, and Doug sits in for him that week. And that week was like night and day. He was funny. He was engaging. We had great conversations on and off yeah, the air. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just had the best time that week that he sat in and Good subbed. Good for you. Something that he said to me, probably as a throwaway comment, ended up radically changing my life. Come on. I'm not overselling this. I was going to say, that's a pretty heavy statement. So at some point during one of our conversations, McDuff says to me, you know, because we're talking about, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. We were talking about getting engaged, and I did end up marrying her, and we've been married for 36 years now. Nice. Um, So he's like, ah, kid. You don't want to do this. You want to get into sales. That's where the money is. He's not wrong. (laughs) That was his advice to me. Okay. And I took it to heart. Not long after that, I took a vacation. Mm -hmm. And so Riley O'Neill subbed for me producing. And Riley got along much better with Bill. And so Bill basically said, I want Riley instead. And so I got replaced Mm -hmm. and basically lost my full-time job. I was invited to stay on part-time, but that was it. I was no longer producer. And honestly, at that point, I was kind of fine with that. Yeah, that was maybe the nudge you needed. You just didn't know you needed it. It was. And, you know, my girlfriend was living in Milwaukee, and so that was tough. I was was very grateful for the 1-800 line in the studio, (laughs) in in the FM studio, that I could call during my shift and talk to my girlfriend the entire shift. Um, so I was grateful for that. But it's like, well, you know something, it's time for me to just move to Milwaukee and, you know, do something else. And so I moved there. I actually did 
talked to a couple of radio stations. I was I was offered a job actually at QFM oh. ninety three in Milwaukee, yeah. and I don't know if they're still even around. But I've kind of lost track of Milwaukee radio. But Milwaukee's a great radio market. Oh, it was, my but goodness. it came down to two things. Number one, I got a job in full time sales, and I got a weekend gig DJing weddings, and the pay was much better than I would have made doing overnight shifts at QFM. So I DJed weddings instead for a couple of years for extra dough. So what was your sales job then? For like nine months, I sold copy machines of all things. Oh. But I really wanted to get into ad sales. Okay. I wanted to stay connected with media. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I got acquainted with somebody who did cable TV advertising sales and... I ended up applying for and got that job, and I ended up in media sales, you know, until I was in media sales until two months ago when I retired. Not cable TV, though. No. I actually did radio for a couple of years in there. I did CBS affiliate in Madison for a couple of years. Which one? Um, Channel 3. Oh, my. WISC TV. Nice. I worked there for a while, and then, but the last 16 years, I worked for Lamar, the billboard company here oh, in Rockford. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, and so, I mean, I had a pretty nice sales career. And a few years ago in Janesville, I had to go into the big radio studios. Mm -hmm. Big radio has several of the, well, they basically they have all the station call letters in Janesville and Beloit now and Monroe. And did you know that McDuff worked for them for a little while? That's my story. Oh, I walked into seriously? big radio and there's Doug McDuff. No way. And so oh I went God. up to him and introduced myself he, of course, didn't remember me because why would he? You know, we got to know each other for like a week, yeah. you know, 35 years before. Yeah. And I told him that, you know, his little bit of advice that I should go into sales was, you know, I took it to heart and I ran with it. Wow. And he, again, had no idea who I was or that this throwaway comment he made basically changed my entire career arc. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? And and for you to have that kind of a nice memory of Doug just being a cut up and, and you, you had a great time, even though it was a week, that's a huge compliment to him because he's stepping into the abyss. I mean, mm -hmm. he is the sales guy and he's, ah, yeah, I used to do this, but, you know, hadn't done it for a while. So he could have fallen flat on his face or he could have taken it very, very seriously because he was nervous or whatever. Oh, he wasn't the no, least bit nervous. Not, no, oh but, that, but that's He belonged Doug. on the air. He did. Yeah, that's just the way Doug is. Mm -hmm. Wow. Huge compliment to be able to have that memory of Doug. What were you doing at Big Radio then? Why were you in the studio? Um, because I was acquainted with a guy named Stan Milam. And Stan, when I did news at WCLO in Janesville worked for the, the company. He was, had been news director for the radio station. And then he worked on, they also owned the Janesville Gazette, and then he was working on the newspaper side for a while. Wow. And Stan and I kept in touch over the years. And eventually he had a, he had a talk show on WCLO for several years, a morning talk show from like 9.30 to noon. Okay. And at some point, he invited me to sub for him when he was going on vacation. And so for several years, I got to sub and do his talk show. Oh, how cool. And it was like, wow, I stepped back into radio <laughs> and basically had the gig I'd always wanted. Did you have a board op? I did. Did you? Wow. I did. It was like, you know, I didn't even have to turn a knob. Oh. It was, it was everything that... 
you know, the 22 year old me had hoped to have one day. And I finally kind of got to live that and get it out of my system once and for all. That is so good. So how many times do you think you filled in? I mean, half a dozen? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, there were full weeks that I filled in for him. And my employer at the time was very nice about letting me do this. Nice. Um, Because it was, you know, I was in effect working for a competitor. Well, kind of. yeah, in the media. And, yeah. you know, but everybody was cool with it because they knew I wouldn't be jerky about it. Yeah, nice. And I actually took vacation from my job so that I could do these radio shifts because yeah. I wanted to do it so badly. That sounds familiar because in 2010, when Riley O'Neill was taking a bunch of listeners to Cub Spring Training in Mesa, Arizona, mm-hmm. I don't know, he maybe took 30 people out there. Uh, Steve Summers, uh, you know, there's just a bowl of spaghetti with everybody being connected. Steve Summers called me up and he says, would you be interested in substituting on a Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday while Riley's out in Arizona? And I said, sure, because it just seemed like it was so much fun. Well, again, I had a board op, which I was not used to at all, because you're used to pulling carts and doing everything Mm -hmm. on your own. That's just the way it was. There was very little learning curve. I didn't have to learn much. It's not like you had to learn the equipment. Um, But I pulled in all of my tokens for interviews. You know, the mayor of Loves Park and Webbs Norman from the Park District. And Mm -hmm. uh, my brother-in-law, who was crabbing for 30 years up in Alaska. You know, deadliest (laughs) catch. So Uh he's got stories. And it was incredibly fun, but exhausting. I don't know about you, but boy, at the end of your shift, were you just mentally spent? You know, I really wasn't. Really? You're better than I am then. (laughs) So, I mean, it was just the adrenaline was still, you know, surging. Yeah. I'm sure at the end of the day, I crashed pretty hard. Yeah. It was cool. It was a neat experience. And I'm glad I got to have that and say that I was able to do it. What was the uh, connection that you told me? And I, I remember just a little sliver of it when you walked in. What was the connection with you and Roger Peters? So a few years ago, actually, I think it was here at Edgebrook, the station was doing a remote, and I hear the name Roger Peters, and I'm like, really? (laughs) So when I was leaving ZOK, um, my last couple of weekends there, they had hired him to take my weekend shifts. So his first time on the air, he sat in with me. You trained Roger Peters. Well, you could call it that. I don't know that he needed much training. Yeah, but where'd he come from? He... So I don't even remember. Oh. I mean, it was just, I, I think it was just that really that one night. Oh. But I remembered his name. And when I heard it again, it's like, wow, 30 some years later, he's still there. Yeah. And he's still doing events, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, I, I guess, DJing an event, mm-hmm. whether it be a car show or a private party or whatever. I don't know that he does weddings anymore. I saw him maybe, oh, two months ago, he was doing an event. And I said, geez, really, Roger, this is all you're bringing in? I said, really, this is it? And of course, all you do is bring in your little iPad and a mixing board to put in your microphone jack, and that's it. And you remember the days where we used to haul in 45s and turntables and everything else. We had a cheesy little cassette player they sent me out (laughs) with from ZOK. I'm hoping by the time you got back, they had upgraded that. I guess. I don't know. I I don't remember on my second tour ever doing DJing things for the radio station. I might have, but I remember more doing remotes. I remember the equipment when I was there the first time, and good God, it would take you four trips to Mm -hmm. make it in. 
And, you know, some of these weddings are down in the basement of the VFW or whatever. It's like, holy crap, I don't know how I ever hauled all that crap down there. And now they walk in with an iPad and they connect it with the Bluetooth and you're off and going. It's it's sort of hilarious. And you get paid more. Mm-hmm. You get paid more yep. to do less. Yeah, yep. it's sort of hilarious. And, you know, now they say, well, you know, I want such and such song. Well, if you don't already have it in your library on your device, then all you got to do is just go to iTunes or go to somebody and, mm-hmm. and download it. And all of a sudden you look like you're the magic man. And it's like, are you kidding me? But that's what they do. I got sent out once when they wanted they wanted somebody to dj in effect it was a dance Mm -hmm. i guess for lack of a better term but it was at this home for disabled teenagers and i mean like emotionally disabled not physically disabled necessarily okay and they wanted somebody to do it and it somehow fell to me i don't know if nobody else wanted to do it or you know it was the one and only time i did something like that from the station and I was a little surprised that the equipment we had was, I mean, it was just very cheesy, like cassettes and things. Oh, no. And the sound system was not anything that was impressive at all. I mean, these kids didn't care. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous going in to this, how it was going to go and what the situation was going to be. And it ended up being a really positive experience for me. Because these kids were just so happy to have someone there playing music for them that they just enjoyed themselves so much. And and I don't remember where it was, what the what the place was here in town. But they actually asked me to come back. But by that point I was, you know, in the process of moving to Milwaukee, so I couldn't take the gig. And these were impressionable teenager ages too. Yeah. I mean wow. there you know, some of them couldn't really really speak or speak well. They were but still. Um, they just had the time of their lives. Good for you. And seeing that just made me feel really, really good that this gig somehow fell to me and I got to be the one to bring them that joy. Yeah. There's been a lot of people that have come in and sat down with us and they will say whatever the happened, the story was sort of like your Doug McDuff mm-hmm. piece of advice type of thing. And yeah. now when you're talking about the dance where people just by what they do, whether it be their job or something they say, sticks with people for decades. And I cannot tell you how many people, and it doesn't matter whether you're Ken DeCoster or Bob Pressman or whether you're Roger Peters and Liz Weiler, doesn't matter. It's the gamut that they go, you know, this person did this for me or said this to me or allowed me to do this or assigned this to me that made all these other dominoes fall. And it's like, Holy crap. And those people probably don't even know it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just never know how something it you say or do is going to affect someone positively or negatively. Well, you, yeah, you it just, could, yeah, it could be negatively, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you'll you know, never amount to much. And then yep. you go, OK, I'll go on to something else where that person could have possibly been fantastic. Mm-hmm. But they were never given the urge yep. or the encouragement or the they never gave them that tim fox and that steve summers carrot mm-hmm. to give you the opportunity to bite on you yep. know if the carrot never dangles it's like eh you know i'll just i'll just keep doing this mm-hmm. but when somebody says well try this well i've never done that before i know that's why i'm assigning it to you try this and go here and do this and i gotta hand it to kipper mcgee uh, charlie quinn those people they were always in that mode let's raise the bar just a tad. 
personally or station-wise, it makes a difference on people's careers. It's cool to watch that and then hear the stories later on. Do you have a, a story connected to a client of any sort? You know, I cut a few ads, but not a bunch. But we had our regulars that would come in, and you'd see them come in, and you'd know who they were. And one of them was Lee from B. Sandfield. Remember B. Sandfield? Yeah, Lee Hartsfield. So, yeah. So <laughs> it was always kind of funny to, you know, see Lee come in and cut his ads. So one day he came in to cut his ad, and I think Riley was the one that was producing it for him. And Lee... You know, he wrote his own ads and voiced oh. them himself. Oh, yeah. And I don't think Riley knew what was coming. And so Lee goes on this rant about in his ad about how, you know, we don't artificially mark up our, uh, mark up our prices and then, you know, lower them like stores like Kohl's and Pennies. And he starts <laughs> naming all the people and accusing them of doing it. Oh, God. And... <laughs> Oh, God. The story was, and this is hearsay because I did not actually witness this, but the story was that when he got done with his rant about, you know, all these stores that were doing these illegal things that um, Riley just looked at him kind of like, did you really say that? And Lee just looks at him and goes, ah, F him. Oh, no. <laughs> And that probe, that little outtake right there probably ended up in the Christmas audio thing that we played at the party. Yeah, assuming the tape was still going. But oh, God. so the compromise was, you know, <laughs> Lee was, he was insistent that the ad had to run. So the compromise was they bleeped out the names of the stores. So like, they literally had, they ran the tape, but they literally put tones over the names? Like when they, he said, you know, and... And I don't know for sure that it was Coles and Pennies, but I think that's, you know, those were on the list of people that he accused of doing this. You know, stores like Beep and Beep and Beep. No way. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I'll tell you what. Lee Hartsfield was a character on so many levels. Mm -hmm. And you remember when people like Dale Gustafson would come in, Al Grace? Oh, I was there for, and I don't know if this was the first time this happened when, Al Grace tried to do his ad for the peanut sale, <laughs> those which were, did not sound like peanut sale. No, those were classic. Oh, yeah. That that <laughs> tape. I, I'm sure that tape still exists. I think one time on the TV, you know, he's just standing there. And they show the, of course, they show appliances and stuff like that. And he's talking about his peanut sale. And... And it sounded like peanuts uh, so many oh times. Yeah. yeah, and he's over and over and over and over and over that they actually put a byline on the TV ad that it's peanuts sale, not peanuts sale. But you can't do that on radio. It doesn't matter how slow Al Gray said it. It was still a peanuts sale. Oh, God, it was hilarious. And, of course, everybody, when they knew he was coming in, mm -hmm. everybody would be around the AM production room we're just waiting for it to happen. And those were one of those stories where you just, you see it coming and you just, mm -hmm. you, you savor it. I think I was there for the first time that happened. Because <laughs> it seemed like a new thing at the time. <laughs> and it probably would be a new thing today. Mm -hmm. I, don't, yeah. I don't think they have penis sales. Uh, no, no. Well, you know, I... <laughs> Never mind. We won't get into the pricing. Yeah, yeah, so. never, yeah, never mind. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just let that one go. So what have you been doing? Um, you said you stopped doing uh, outdoor advertising billboards about two months ago. What mm -hmm. have you been doing since then? Because you're up in Wisconsin now. I actually have lived in Wisconsin since 1992. Oh, my. 
Illinois. So, um, and I've been working up there. And Rockford just happened to be part of my territory for Lamar because oh. our office is actually in Janesville. Okay. So when I retired from sales, I am now working a part-time job for an organization up there that um, helps unaccompanied homeless youth. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of transitional living houses, and then we also provide services to um, teenagers that are identified by, like, the school districts and stuff. Gotcha. As, you know, people who are couch surfing, been kicked out, whatever. Yeah. And so I'm doing that. But um, what I do on the side is I do a lot of writing. I've written eight plays that have been produced and performed at the Janesville Performing Arts Center oh, in Janesville. Cool. I'm actually doing some acting. I do a lot of acting on my own. Um, I'm currently in Elf the Musical. Are you really? At Janesville Performing Arts Center, which is sold out this weekend, I might add. All your writing is theatrical. At this point, yes. Not books, not articles, not anything like that. It's for the theater. I've also written some short films. There's one that um, is making the film festival circuit right now. It'll be shown at the Beloit International Film Festival in February. Wow. Um, so that is my love right now is writing. Is this uh, a, a carry back from theater in high school or is this a new thing for you? I didn't really do acting until I was in my 30s. Hmm. And when the bug bit, it bit hard. So I've done a lot of theater in Wisconsin and, you know, I've acted in TV commercials and things. Um, so it's just, it's been a lot of fun and it's, that's good. Just, you know, something that, uh, makes me happy. So yeah. I keep doing it. Well, and a lot of people never find that perfect formula after they quote unquote retire mm-hmm. and you've done the double dip. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously if you're doing a, not charity work, but you see what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and then something that you really, really enjoy. I mean, I, I sort of giggle when people go, why are you doing that? Whatever it is, maybe it's storyteller studio or whatever the other stuff that I do. And I go, well, some people play golf. I don't play golf. I don't either. So (laughs) So you got to do something. Wow. Good for you. You know, um, Beloit International Film Festival, uh, we have done an episode up there. Uh, Liz and I have another podcast called Life's Three by Fives. Mm -hmm. And we had a wonderful time. That was uh, the time that Liz and I uh, reconnected again. We've always been friends, but you know, one of those things where you're, you're just friends on Facebook type thing. Mm-hmm. And we happened to be up at a reception and that's how all of this stuff happened. It, it, it was just a domino effect. And Greg has been really, really good to us yep. up at the, Greg's a good guy. Yeah. But the film festival and because of that whole thing, you know, one conversation leads to another. There's a film director in Rockford, which I don't know whether you know him or not. His name is Matt Chichella. I do not know Matt. And he's a, a film writer and a director, and uh, we have supported him, and we've been extras in his films. And the reason I brought him up is you were talking about film festivals. And some of the films that he has done early on have been sort of Christian-based, mm-hmm. and not like it's Bible-thumping or anything like that. It's a film where people will have questions. Like, why did that happen, God? You know, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. And he's just going like wildfire. And I think maybe in the last month, 
they've won a dozen awards in different film festivals. Wow, nice. Um, so I'm going to have to give you his number and his yours because you never know. Down the road, something like that may connect or help each mm -hmm. other or whatever, or at least be admirers of each other oh, one yeah. way or the other. Have you ever crossed paths with Eric Wilson? I don't believe so. Okay, Eric is the one of the anchors on TV 17, WTVO okay. here in town. And he's big into theater. Hmm. And Starlight Theater is where he does a lot of stuff. And he used to do weekends. I don't know the time frame, but he used to do weekends on WZOK. Okay. And another one that is big into theater, and his wife said, this will be a great family thing. And of course, you know, you got 25 years later, and John Strandon is doing theater. I didn't know John was doing theater. There you go. You see? Because I saw him a few years ago when he was working for Workforce Connection. He actually sure. did some billboards with me, of all things. Yeah, yeah. And so we reconnected there. I did not realize he was doing that. That's awesome. There you go. I can't remember the title of exactly what he's working on now, because, you know, Starlight Theater is during the mm -hmm. summer. Right. So I'm not really sure, but he helps out with props and stuff like that but his kids have grown up literally in the theater so they've been doing stuff at rock valley college theater since they were maybe 10 and they're probably 24 25 now mm -hmm. and it's been really cool to sort of be on the sideline and watch how he how he works all that theater stuff granted glendia was the one that pulled him in but i would never out of all the rok and zok people Pick one that's in theater. John Strandon would not have been <laughs> my choice because I just didn't mm -hmm. see it. I didn't see it coming. Yep. So FYI on that one, both on the Greg and the John side. I, I thought you'd find this funny. Sure. So when I was there, I mean, we were hit radio. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, we looked more like a top 40 station than a hit radio station. Mm -hmm. And so while I was there, the Julio Iglesias Willie Nelson song to all the girls I loved before, you know, ended up, you know, it was a top 10 hit in the yeah. charts, did not belong on ZOK. No. It was just so wrong for our format. So they programmed it yeah. for ZOK, yeah. and everybody who was on the air went nuts. And so then they made a compromise that, well, we'll only play it during the day. We won't play it after 6 p.m. Okay, makes but sense. But still, nobody wanted to play it. One morning I was running the board for John Arthur when Arthur was doing a remote. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's the next song? Uh, Julio and Willie. And John's like, nope, we're not going to play that one. I think at least twice, because we were still playing music on carts, somebody cut the tape <laughs> so that... <laughs> Because it came up once during one of my shifts, and I looked at it. Oh, tape's broke. Can't play it. <laughs> oh, God. So finally, I think management, you know, at first I think management wanted to dig in their heels and prove who was boss, and I, I think at some point they gave up. That's an interesting way to protest. It's but, just... Yeah, they just cut the tape, cut and then the that tape. was that. So. Now, weren't you part of WZOK when it was Laser Rock? Weren't you part of that, too? So when I came back and subbed a few times in 85, um, the big change was that the CD player made its first appearance in the studio. Mm -hmm. And there were only a handful of uh, songs that we were playing off of CD instead of off of carts. And so whenever you played a song off the CD, you were supposed, you were supposed to uh, announce it as Laser 97 yeah. or Laser Rock. Yeah. And, and listeners uh, should hear the difference, quote oh, unquote. I'm, oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that was funny at the time with, uh, with WROK was 
they were promoting it as AM stereo at the time because oh. AM stereo was a brand new thing. I was there, yeah. So when yeah. I covered a couple of shifts on ROK, it was stereo 1440 WROK. Yeah. Remember when you couldn't get Coors beer? Yep. And then all of a sudden when we could, it's like, well, there's nothing special about that. Mm-hmm. And then later on, it was Krispy Kreme donuts and, you know, oh yep. boy, wait till you get this. And then when we did, it's like, yeah, that was sort of the marketing ploy with the AM stereo because they were sort of telling people there's a difference mm-hmm. and you should hear the difference in what we're doing and da, 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 da. And it's like, no, I just, I tune in for the content. I, I tune in for the smart ass remarks that Doug McDuff <laughs> says in between mm-hmm. records. It, it faded pretty quick, yep. didn't it? It did. Yeah. But it was kind of funny. So that was what was happening at the time that I was there. I am really happy that you are another example of somebody that doesn't necessarily spend 10 or 12 years at that radio station. It's not about time. It's about quality. And you've got those people that you still remember and those events that you still remember, good, bad, or otherwise. And there's something about what Vern Nolte built at ROK and ZOK that was a DNA. It was a culture. It was ingrained in some level, whether you're the newsroom or the salesroom or whatever. And it's been really, really good to get some of those stories out of people. And you're another great example of here are these stories that people don't know about. They're really sort of cool to know that they had an impact. It was a great experience. It really was. I mean, even though I was not there for a long time, I was not high profile. Mm-hmm. Nobody except my family would remember that I was ever here. <laughs> but it was still an experience that I'm really, really glad that I had. Yeah. So here's your homework. You should contact Steve Stottleman. You should contact Steve Summers, <laughs> John St. John, mm-hmm. and go, hey, by the way, uh, I am on this podcast thing, Storyteller Studio, and your name came up. Unless he says, why'd you tell that story about me? <laughs> If, if it's the same guy, I'm sure that he's doing well enough now that he doesn't care. Yeah, he that, doesn't care. That happened yeah. in 1984, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's I, I see you know, Steve and his wife, Yvonne, you know, once in a while. I certainly see them all over Facebook. Yeah. I mean, you know, every Sunday they're doing mimosas. They are. So. Oh, my God. They, they do. It's but, like, dude, drink a beer once in a while. No, hey, if it's not broke, why fix it? Every once in a while, I would run into Steve around town, and it was always great to see him because we go way back. And, you know, he was dating Yvonne, and I was dating Linda at the same time, and we've known each other since day one. So That's fantastic. Well, Jim, thanks again. I appreciate you coming in, and much luck with your two things with retirement, and we'll see you at the theater. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me and Tim. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storyteller Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting.